equity cards on and it was like Albin's first show out of college um, and I, I love them. Like I text with with Aubin and Zach almost daily because we're all still on a family group thread from that show. The two of them, the other woman that played our other sister and our two parents, I I adore them. That's wonderful. Yeah, we we. Um, I didn't know Zach super well, but I I uh, I love Aubin. Zach and I just didn't cross paths a lot in school, but we both grew up with Aubin and you, Pia, went to college with them, right? Technically, no. Aubin Technically. understudied me in a high school production of Noises Off. So, because <laughs> you, you, really, you went to CMU for set design. That's what they. That's what it says on my uh, resume. Okay. <laughs> Theoretically. Right. We have yet to see that uh, be practically applied anywhere. No, I identify with that strongly. Um, <laughs> My so, gender identity is going to school for something that I have nothing to do with now. <laughs> um, yeah. I love I was them. just reading your book and I was like, it, the Disney's It's a Small World just started playing in my head. And I was like, I was like, I need to go to the moon. But obviously you're lovely, so. Aubin, yeah, Aubin bought my book for her dad for Christmas. That was uh-huh. like, it doesn't come out till March. And it was like, just like, here's the receipt for Kevin's book, <laughs> which is so sweet. That's really charming and very sweet. Yeah. yeah, that's lovely. Okay. Are you guys ready to jump in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Well, this is We Did You the give reading. me permission to record. Oh my God. I'm going to kill you. Yes. Isn't it already recorded? Yeah. I'm recording. Pia wants permission to record also, which is... Well, if I... Because my vocals last time I recorded sounded like I was inside of a can of tomato soup. Do I have to do anything special or different? No, you're good. No, you just have to be you. (laughs) Pia, can you request again? It's... (gasps) That reminds me that uh, Brandy Cillarella is on... Is on Disney Plus. It absolutely is. You said the word impossible, and sorry, I got... I was like, what was it that reminded you? I, <laughs> I was like, what did I do? I took a bite of Chipotle. <laughs> Brandy. You all good? That yeah. movie is the future that liberals want. Um, yeah, I'm, good. I'm Gucci. The future I still want. Okay. All right. This is We Did the Reading, a homo pomo podcast where we're smart about dumb and dumb about smart. I'm Clementine, that's Pia, and we are two queer actors playing queer characters discussing the queer media that made us like this. And today we are discussing Please Come Off Book, written by Kevin Camps. <laughs> Whoa. Written, written by Kevin Cantor, whomst we have with us today. It's <laughs> very exciting. Yes. Welcome. Hey. Hi, thank you. Kevin Welcome. Kevin. <laughs> That's Welcome me. to our horrible gay podcast. Oh my God. Horrible gay is my brand. So hopefully you can add a degree of decorum to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a order. You, we have yet to have a um, someone. You're our second guest ever. You're the first person we're having on to discuss their own work. And it feels like such a natural choice because what could be more fitting for this like very theatric and very gay podcast run by two non-binary people than you and your premiere book, which is 
checking all those boxes. Absolutely. You know, I looked into my crystal ball and I actually knew this podcast was going to be a thing. And that yeah. is what, that is what prompted me to write this very manuscript. You were like, weird. Our book. astrologer mentioned something about someone writing this book, actually. Now that I think about it. Interesting. It is a hundred percent real. So look, if there's anything the that only I true think, science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'm going to read your like official, official bio, Kevin, if that is good. Yeah, let's see if I did all the things that you're about to say I did. <laughs> Kevin Cantor, pronouns they, them, is a queer, non-binary poet, actor, and theater practitioner. Their writing has been featured in Teen Vogue, BuzzFeed, Button Poetry, Voicemail Poems, Slab, and elsewhere. They've toured nationally with their poetry, performed at over 80 colleges and universities across the country. They're a former member of Denver Minor Disturbance Youth Poetry Slam Team and the founder of University of Northern Colorado's Soapbox Slam. As an actor, they have worked with regional theaters throughout the country, including Actors Theater of Louisville, B Street Theater, Island Shakespeare Festival, Arizona Theater Company, Milwaukee Repertory Theater, where they originated the role of Mia in the American premiere of Things I Know to Be True by Andrew Bovell. They worked as a content supervisor on the second season of John Ridley's Emmy award-winning ABC drama, American Crime. Uh, and they are Kevin Cantor across all platforms. I didn't know that last one. That's cool as fuck what a cool credit i did all those things yeah i mean what's <laughs> wild about the american crime thing is um i was sitting in my friend's apartment uh in their basement like lying on the ground i think like playing tomb raider on xbox um uh the year the summer after i graduated and john ridley literally called my cell phone Holy shit. Like I saw some of your work online and it sort of aligns with some of the themes that we're exploring this season. Like, would you like to come on board and write with us and do some script supervision? And I ultimately ended up being on the show. I wrote a poem for one of the, that's actually in this book. Um, the poem I wrote for that show ended up in the book. That's amazing. Yeah. So to get, to jump into that a little bit. Yeah. So like your your career didn't start, but you were like public career yourself as like a, a public person started with this like very, very viral poem, which got you a huge number of opportunities in the era where that was like the, the very brief window where that was a way to make a career for yourself in three minutes. Like, Oh, to have a viral poem. <laughs> that, that was like a real thing for a spell. Um, I mean, not to say that like I, that has completely come and gone perhaps, but there was definitely like, there was a window and I was inside of that window. Um, to clarify, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's actually, it's a thing I talk to, um, I've talked to Sabrina about a lot or like a thing I've talked to a lot of poets about who like came, who had that moment because, um, I was dating someone at the time who also had a poem who, uh, like had that moment and like, didn't seize it I don't mean to say that it's like uh I don't mean to say that in a way that it's like cheapening it's it was just really interesting yeah it's really interesting to see like so many people who I think had no plan to like have something get this successful did and took it and ran with it in so many different directions I mean like and I think that a lot of us um like seized upon it in, in very different ways. I mean, what, what you, you mentioned Sabrina and, and I think of, you know, I ended up, um, so I, I went to school for acting and directing um, and that, that viral moment happened, you know, 
quite literally months before I was graduating with my undergraduate degree. So I pivoted pretty strongly and was like, this is the time I'm going to go on a poetry tour. Um, And that ended up becoming my plan for my first year out of undergrad. And then while doing that, realized how much I missed what work I had been doing in school, which was being a theater practitioner, and then pivoted back toward that. Um, And there was a little bit of whiplash um, in in transitioning um, between those like two career paths very, very quickly. Not that they don't obviously have uh, inherent tethers to one another, but that was the also sort of the nucleus and nebulous of this book because the following year after my tour, I ended up being an acting apprentice at the Actors Theater of Louisville, where I was in Louisville, Kentucky for nine months. Um, also shortly um, after I started letting people know that I was trans non-binary. And a lot of these poems are from that time as well, where I was like, what is happening? And who am I? And what am I doing? And what am I meant to be doing? Mm -hmm. A lot of like staring in the mirror and like blinking. A lot of that. A lot, a lot of, a lot of mirrors. That's my experience at least. I mean, granted I was also in Kentucky. So it was a lot of bourbon drinking um, I mean, I still love bourbon. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. I mean, also because the piece that went viral itself, I have a complicated relationship with now, um, and was going back and forth as to whether or not to put it in this book. And I ended up putting it into the book because I think the journey with the piece, um, speaks volumes as well, um, outside of like what it meant in that viral moment. What is the the source of the complicated feelings or the conflict? Um, I think what it was was that uh, that all these like third party publications um, that were sharing this piece and wanting to interview me on the piece were very very uh, I think concerned with uh, the idea that I was writing about survivorship and sexual violence from the from a male perspective. Oh, okay. That was, that was like the the very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, selling point is, is, is an awful way to cheapen it, but, um, that's how it felt certainly, um, that that was what they were most interested in. Like what, like a, what, what a fresh take or a new voice from like a, a, a group of people, men, you know, (laughs) like I used air quotes by the way there, um, about this topic that like we don't hear often enough. Right. Um, and it was actually oh, no. having a conversation with that with all these people where I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how I see myself or how I am. I mean, there, there's a single word in the poem that would gender it. The, the, the word boy is used one time. Right. Um, and suddenly it was being like held up as this like piece on about male survivorship and, 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 and you know, um, you know, men who experience sexual violence. Um, and it was just another like reminder. It's like, oh, like as I walk through the world, um, no matter what I do or what I say, um, that is how I'm going to be perceived. And, and and more often than not, not more often than not, but there was there were more than one occasion in which after I would let them know that like, hey, actually, like I'm non-binary. Um, I there were t- two instances in which then I was dropped. They were like, oh, we no lo- we no longer want to talk about this. Then we were looking for a man. <laughs> Clementine and I were just talking about literally right before we got on this call. I was complaining (laughs) about the fact that I got like a sponsorship offer from like a sex toy thing. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But they were like, we want like a strong, empowered girl. And I was like, well, 
I'm not one of those. I'm non-binary, but like, I'm happy to still promote your product and just emails went cold. Like it was literally like uh, they emailed me like five times. I wrote back twice. And then like the whole thread went cold as soon as I was like, I'm non-binary. It's just like, that's not what we wanted, I guess. Right. Which I'm like, (laughs) what the fuck? I know. I was like, I have the same number of followers and the same influence over them. I don't know what your fucking point is. (laughs) Like, <laughs> I, I you both have to give me no I'm just, no I'm just I'm just fucking with them. Uh you both have to give me a little bit of benefit of doubt because I don't know how to read. Um so I'm coming at all of the everything that we cover on this podcast, especially poetry, from a very like outsider perspective. Cause like I don't know, man, like I, I like uh I think limericks are pretty cool because you can usually make them dirty. That's about the end of like my poetry education. But I'm wondering if you're saying that your your like inclusion of the poem um, in this larger text is more about the journey of that piece. It's interesting because you placed it in the rising action section of this of this book, right? So yeah. is there like a conclusion to that directly, or like where would you like point to the conclusion of that being? resolved besides like you know the whole book and also your rest of your life right (laughs) no i mean so i i I was a little nervous today because i definitely i mean i listened to your episode on crush which (laughs) um was uh pretty indicative of the fact that you're like i don't like poems i'm like let's talk about poems um i I don't not like them i'm just dumb i'm this dumb i'm the dumb about smart in this episode clementine will be this smart about dumb I don't know. Um, yeah, I so I think there's two poems I think that's specific in the collection that specifically uh, deal with my experiences as a survivor. And I would say this, the, the, the latter of the two in the collection um, really focusing on what it was like to be a survivor in the public eye. Um, and so that is people you may know and I am sure um, and I am sure is in many ways a, a direct response to the, the way in which people you, know, you may know was received, um, which was largely like in, in what felt often an attempt to celebrate, you know, my, uh, the work. Um, and, you know, like there's also allusions to this in the, in other poems in the collection, like, you know, celebrating the bravery of people sharing their trauma. I mean, like, and I, I don't mean to be uh, reductive of the truth and cur- the, the kernel of truth in that, um, but it can also feel very exploitive. And to what you were saying, Clem, it's like often people will only celebrate you insofar as they want to. They want to celebrate the version of you that they receive and makes them feel warm and fuzzy, um, not what necessarily honors the full story, right? Um, so I am sure is very much a direct response to people you may know uh, in the sense that I'm, you know, it was a way of saying like, I feel as if uh, people are, sometimes in celebrating survivors, we actually forget about the survivors. Um, you know, you think of, I think of that as awful as the show as this is, um, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, like there's that scene, which they're like this way, victims, this way, victims, like they're ushering the victims on the, on the, on the news program. Right. Um, and that you, you lose your personhood in the process. Like you are just a figurehead in a, in a, in a touchstone for this idea of what it means to be brave. And it's like, 
I mean, it was also very important to me to, for, for me to put like very horny poems in this book because for a while I was like, I felt completely robbed of my right to celebrate my sexuality um, because that did not align with what folks wanted to paint a picture of what the perfect survivor was, which is frankly very often cis white women um, and like heteronormatively attractive cis white women who are like well-behaved and demure and are no longer allowed access to their sex. Like that is what is, is put up on a pedestal is like, you know, yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> well, I think we can all agree here that the inclusion of horny poetry into any book is doing the work. That's praxis. Yes. The work TM trademark, the work. I really resonate with what you're saying. I think like, I also, uh, like I started selling poetry, like doing my art for a living when I was like 21. And a lot of that work is very, very, um, about childhood trauma or about traumas I endured in my early twenties. And I so relate to the feeling of being like, I am being celebrated in this moment. I'm getting to do my art for a living. I'm getting to do all the things I said I wanted, um, but it feels like I'm um, being more dehumanized than I ever have in my life by the way that I'm being admired. There's this um, quote from Kimmy Walters that I think about every day that uh, you can only be told how eloquently you express grief so often before you begin to feel like a pain farm. And <laughs> yeah, it's very that there's something about Bars. all of those, all of those like three minute videos that are just like, here's my trauma. Here's a short three act play about the worst thing that ever happened to me. And then you get celebrated for it, but you are in a very real way being treated like a pain farm and being treated as this, like this horrible thing that happened to you that you like were brave enough to share ends up being this thing. That's like a cheap catharsis for strangers. And that is dehumanizing, even if it is also your dreams coming true. It's a paradox, really. All at the same time. I All mean, at the same time. <laughs> wild. Like that that year that I was on tour, you know, I did, I was like going around the whole country for the whole year reading poems at like some really one like dream places, right? Um, schools I didn't get into, you know, like that's yeah. always, the, that's the biggest story. Right? <laughs> Hell uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, again, that poem, People You May Know, which every time I felt obligated to perform because I know that's what brought me there, right? The last line of the poem is, you know, every day I write, um, God, what's my own poem? Uh, I, uh, 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 every day I write a, a poem titled Tomorrow. It is a handwritten list of the people I know who love me and I make sure to put my own name at the top. Right. And I remember then going home and going back to my hotel room, crying in the shower and being like, every day I am currently reading this poem and not living up to the very, like the thesis that I wrote from, wrote my way out. Like when I wrote that poem, it was very real and very resonant for me in the moment. And now I'm being asked to continue to manufacture a thing that I am not allowing myself the space to actually come to in an organic way. Like I'm not living up to this in it right now. Um, of course, like I'm, I'm, I feel pretty good right now, but you know, like <laughs> in the moment it's, it's difficult. It, it, it's, it's difficult. And that again, always reminds me of like my work as an actor. Uh, like what it means to um, play a character and what it means when you feel like that character has to be yourself. 
It's like you're playing. I so I have like PTSD from like that type of show, like that, like twenty, like doing a show at a college you didn't get into at twenty two, and then you like sit there for or stand there for an hour signing books for other twenty two year old strangers who feel entitled to tell you the worst thing that ever happened to them in like the ninety seconds you have to interact with them, and you're just like signing a book, like oh your dad died, that's so hard, thank you, and then you like take a picture, and then like the next person comes up, and you're like oh like tell me about what the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it's just like, it's so much. It's, you're very much like you're, um, you're playing the, um, the version of yourself that like has lived in their head and been a source of comfort for them for the last couple months. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, um, a really difficult thing that we ask people to do to like play a version of themselves while not acknowledging they're playing a version of themselves. Uh, Guys, have we considered emotional catharsis? Have we considered that art might just be a mistake? There's something there, right? But like, what else would I do? What I, else would I do? I have, I have no is, other skills or interests. So. No, absolutely not. I mean, and it's always, it always feels weird to talk about these things. I mean, like, because, but I know that you can so closely relate to it because like, I'm always, if, I never want to sound glib or ungrateful like all of those right. moments are like really special and magical and meaningful and like what a what a gift that that I was able to create something that allowed someone to feel as if they had the space to share in that way back and holy fuck is Absolutely. it so hard and it's, yeah yeah I very much I feel very grateful for it I feel um, a huge amount of responsibility for it. And I, I do feel very grateful to do it. Like I'm, I'm grateful to stand there for as long as it takes to sign everyone's book, to talk to everyone, to hear everything they have to say, but it is also, yeah, it feels, it does feel important. Yeah. It does feel important to talk about the part where you're like, and then I go back to a hotel room alone and I just have to sit there with all like 30 of you that said something to me that was just like an unforgettably sad thing. I just carried all of that back with me to be alone in this hotel room. I identify very strongly with, with like, you know, these famous drag Queens right now who are always like lamenting about meet and greets. Like I love when they like bitch about the meet and greets and like, you know, I, I, I would, I'm not someone that would ever have interest in, in getting a ticket to a meet and greet, but like, it feels like, you know, it feels like that, except like, you know, like I write sad poems, which makes a little bit more sense than like sharing your trauma with like Trixie Mattel, but like live your truth. I was uh, literally, okay. <laughs> I was literally just about to bring this up. Somehow I knew Trixie Mattel was going to be brought into this conversation. My best friend, Trixie. Uh, no, but my like. My legal guardian. Listen, <laughs> like, it's tr- like, people say shit like that to Trixie Mattel, and I'm sure say it way more often because she's hugely famous but she's also like eight feet tall and dressed as a clown and she can say whatever the fuck she wants back and like she can like there's a there's a um a barrier between she's not brian Furcus in that moment she's trixie mattel right. you know and like you're still kevin Cantor, yeah, you know like, not like a great on bus <laughs> yeah because um, i that i because i just slept on one getting to whatever city i'm in currently right exactly yeah. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> like, absolutely i am yeah i'm still kevin Cantor. <laughs> um Okay, well, we've we've obviously dived in a little bit, but uh, for people like Pia who are not big poetry people, how would you how would you describe this book? How would you say that this is a book they would enjoy? Yeah. Um, oh God, I hope you enjoyed. I, it. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. I like it. I just, I don't know what it means. I think it means yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, no. Um. So I, how would I describe this collection? Um, it's funny because it, you're the first folks to ask me to uh, answer that question in real time. And it should Ooh. not be this difficult having lived with this book for so long. Um, I think the, me, sometimes the things you live with the longest in terms of the creative process are the most difficult to explain, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. sort of ties itself up into a knot of its own thing. And then you're like, what am I even making? I don't know, but here it is. Do you want it? I'm like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I, it is, uh, you, you should read this book if you are um, someone who likes poetry, A, um, someone who uh, is uh, queer or gender expansive. And if you're someone who enjoys theater, and if you are none of those things, you should still read it because um, I want you to. But I would say that the book uh, largely uses um, my experiences as a trans non-binary theater practitioner and sort of the landscape of the American theater and drawing upon some classical theater as an extended lens of exploration into my um, childhood and coming into my queerness and gender identity. Um, and realizing that there was a lot of intersection there um, in in more ways than I had maybe thought at, at the surface, which is, you know, it, it goes all back to like, you know, you know, you know, Dr. Judith Butler said it years ago, like gender is performance, right? Like it's like not an, it's not a new, I'm not a pioneer in this train of thought, um, but that there is a sort of inherent difficulty or uh, dissociation sometimes required from from someone who is uh, non-binary uh, working in a field, the theater, um, film and television, what have you, that in many cases up until now uh, has relied upon checking boxes and putting people in boxes and um, relying on someone's body and the way that they look um, to tell a story before they're allowed to open their mouth. Um, that is very much the way that the industry works, right? Uh, and and how to combat that, or at, at the very least, uh, if not actively combat it, um, which I hope to be doing with this book and through my work, um, at the very least, like, survive it. <laughs> yeah, that's what the book is about. <laughs> I can say confidently that theater is a mistake. I'm not sold theater on is art. Not a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who loves it, live me, by the sword, die by the sword. Give me, give me your best speech and debate reason, your forensics, your high school forensics reason that theater is a mistake. The theater industry is a mistake. Yes. Okay, that's what I that's what I meant. We won the debate. Thank you. I mean, I, I have said before, like, and I do believe this is that like um I think that queerness is inherently anti-capitalist and the American theater is capitalist. And so my queerness is at odds with the American theater and there's no way around it. Um, and I'm a queer person working within the confines and constructs of the American theater. Um, so having to pick and choose my battles where, uh, and try to like, you know, eat the beast from the inside, if you will. Um, yeah, the theater, the, the, the American theater, the industry is, is, uh, 
homophobic, transphobic, and held up by white supremacy, like everything else that works within our capitalist system. Um, you know, they they care far more about bottom lines and ticket sales than they do about storytelling um, and uh, and liberation, which is why I create art. Um, when when you're creating theater do you, and trying to dismantle these like huge systems, do you see yourself as more trying to directly fight against something or subvert it sort of from the inside out? I think more often than not the latter, I want to say yes to both, but I think that uh, in, in the, the, the opportunities that I've been gifted with thus far in my career, and I say gifted with, and I should start to reframe that, the opportunities thus far that I've earned in my career um, have, I think, placed me in positions that allow me to exist loudly and publicly in a way that might work to subvert or dismantle, um, you know, the institutions that I'm working within. Um, because I, I don't, you could burn it all, burn it all to the ground and start over, right? <laughs> But like sometimes like that doesn't feel like the most economic use of time. <laughs> um, uh, so very yes. often, yeah, like when I'm working at these major institutions, I think there are there are in fact people there with with uh, with goodwill and intent. And 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 I think it's it's about a, like, uh, you know, when I'm brought in and working at a theater for whatever sort of production in which my my the way I arrive in my in my body, and my identity is sort of null to the story that we happen to be telling. Is it ever hundred percent? No, is my belief. Um, but it's not one in which they're like, we're going to do queer, explicitly queer programming, right? Um, I'm still going to try to find opportunities to like set up a poetry reading, like arrive in, in, in a way in which I can bring my full self to that community and to that institution, um, you know, that extends beyond the way in which my identity may, may or may not manifest on stage. Um, yeah, That's I'm all really excited about it. That's a really remarkable commitment to like, to yourself and to yourself as an artist and a performer to like, I'm just inspired. Like what, what, um, <laughs> what uh, motivates you and, and what, what is the process that you get to, to the point where you're like, what, what is what I want to bring to every space is my whole self and all of these different disciplines that like fulfill me. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, it speaks back to what we said a little earlier. It's like, I do not know what else to, I don't know, I don't know how to do anything else, A. Um, and it, it's not like wholly true, but there is an element of that in there. But also um, I will acknowledge that it's something that I love doing, that I, uh, it energizes me. It gives, it gives me a sense of, it gives me a sense of purpose. Um, and I do enjoy that work very much. And the reason I make that distinction is because I feel as if there's a lot of people in similar lanes um, or veins of work that I am in um, that are often expected to do these things in an auxiliary way um, beyond the, 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 like the role that they were brought in for. Um, and that should not ever be seen, of, seen as a responsibility. Um, it's something that I actively offer because there just always feels like there's work to be done. There's more stories to be told. Like I, I it's interesting because I, I lead, I talk a lot about my queerness and my gender identity because it feels very often 
more often than not, it's at these major theatrical institutions I've had the opportunity to work at, like I'm the only non-cis voice in a room very often. But even as much as I talk about it, I always still try to like make space for them. Like, I just want to remind you that like my transness is like not the most interesting thing about me. Mm. It's just what I feel the need to have to talk about all the time to make space for myself in the, in the rooms I'm being invited into. Um, and and that sometimes, like, I think takes people back. Like, they're like, we just thought that you were, like, super passionate. And I am super passionate about all those things. But I also feel like I have to be the one making noise because, like, I'm very often these rooms are not replete with, with voices that align with mine in any way. I mean, that's changing slowly but surely. Um, but certainly not through, like, smaller regional theaters throughout the country. I think I, like, came out to friends and fam- friends uh, as non-binary um, in, like, 2018. But I don't think I started being, like, uh, I, I don't think I started incorporating it into, like, my career or my public persona until more this year. And it was entirely because I don't want to talk about it. It was entirely because it's, like, I don't, I, I am, I'm already so well-versed in, like, uh being brought in to discuss like one specific facet of myself and having that define me that I was like, I don't want to do that with this part of myself. And the only thing that changed that was that um, uh, I realized how unavoidable it was. If I don't talk about it, then people just want to talk about like what a strong girl I am and how I'm empowering women. And so if I have, if I want any chance of uh, entering a space as my authentic self, I have to be so loud about it because there's yeah. simply no other option. Um, they, I'm wondering... They, yes. I'm wondering how you go about, like, what, this is interesting to me, because it sounds like you're still sort of finding a way to perform yourself, but it seems like it's more positive for you than it was when you were reading um, your poem that went viral and then being sort of in a dark place at the same time. And I'm wondering how you're able to, like, maintain like a performance that was more positive because in when I find myself in situations where I'm like the queerest person there I do a pretty I've talked about this on the podcast before but I slip into like a pretty um self-deprecating parody because that's just like my first coping mechanism so I'm interested like it just sounds like so much uh work like uh and commitment to be to be like simultaneously like championing for things that you're passionate about and your and your identity but also not defaulting to just being like like for me I'd be like ah it's me the lesbian you want to do something with that yeah I got some jokes (laughs) um I think what I started doing um and this is so something that also feels important to mention maybe not important but like I would consider myself of course until um the live theater was like shot through the heart by the arrow of COVID um I was a pretty successful working actor in regional theater specifically um and and I did not I did so without any representation I don't have an agent or a manager. Um, oh. right. <laughs> I have, I have feelings about, and I, I honestly feel a little bit like it, um, it has to do with the fact that I would people want to cast me as a young leading man 
as mm-hmm. the the the, uh, the male equivalent of an ingenue um uh in in those roles and I, listen i'm i'm fine to take roles from cis people i'll play cis <laughs> like just write me a check i it's fine um but it was important to me that a team that i would have would know that like hey yeah like i'm you can send me in for cis parts but like th- that's i i am not Um, I understand that that is the way that I'm largely perceived in the world. And so those are stories I will be called in to tell and like, I will do it. Right. Um, But I, this is part of who I am as well. And this is important to me. So like, please also let it be known that that is something that I, those are stories I want to tell. And I think the reason I have not been signed, frankly, is not because of that latter part specifically, but because that latter part does not align with what they understand transness or non-binary identity to look like. Because I am not thin, white, and androgynous, because I do not look like what their idea of non-binary is, then they can't sell me on the fact that I am non-binary. And therefore, so then then the question becomes like, well, will this client be a problem? Because we are we don't really see a way to honor these requests that they have of us, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Um, so, that's all to say is that like, I just worked, I've worked without a team for a very long time and have become a very, very strong self-advocate. What's so interesting to me about that is that you, like you said, you have this, like, at this point you have like a a five-year resume in regional theater or something around there. You have a whole body of work of playing, if not explicitly non-binary characters, like characters that look like you and fuck with gender, like look like you and are openly subverting gender within the role. It's so, it's frustrating to hear that you, that the 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 issue with getting at the representation you deserve is that they don't know what to do with you because you're like, well, I have, I've, I, I've answered that question for you. I, there's this whole like body of work that I, that well, is the guys, answer to that issue. I think we all know that non-binary is just the third gender at the center of the one in the middle, female, yeah. right? Exactly, right. <laughs> Someone, someone who looks and sounds like me can't possibly like it, there. It, there really is a disconnect. Yeah, because because we're so because the theater and film and television, the industry is still so hung up on the semiotics of the body on stage mm-hmm. and what story the body itself tells without any written word, without any utterance. Right, and I mean, and this is still true even as trans folk begin to make more and more strides within the film and television industry. Because really, largely, the trans folks that are breaking through into the film and television industry are, uh, are, are still trans folks that align with a, you know, a cis-normative, heteronormative uh, paradigm of what attractiveness is. Right. You know, it, 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 and, and, and then the non-binary folks Androgyny, right? You, you don't you don't see um, like we're still not at the time where we're like you know gen, gender is what you make of it, you know, like like how you arrive at it. And anyone like we have to divorce ourselves from the idea of the, of, of a of presentation um, being or the body being the beginning and ending of what gender is. 
Um, not to say it's not important. Expression is, of course, important. It is, it is, a, it is a, tor- a, a touchstone for so many people about the way that we live our, our authentic selves and, and, and manifest our gender. But it is not the beginning and end. I agree. I think especially in theater, it's when you were talking about that, I was just thinking about how there's so many I can think of so many examples in um, photography or in like still imagery that are of um, the body as it like interacts with gender, like the body, you know, um, the entire art of drag also. But I mean, like, you know what I mean? There's so many examples of like Maplethorpe, for example, uh, doing all of those like BDSM images. There's so many different ways that um, a body could exist on stage and interact with different things and in that way subvert the gender that you are like assigning to that body. It fe- like I just even as a person who has like not been passionate about theater for a decade, like I can just think of all of the different ways that like um, that gender could be used and staged and um, it's just so it's just such a frustrating lack of creativity to me. Pia and I also grew up in uh, Ashland, Oregon. Like we were just both like very, very blessed to grow up with next to probably like the best regional Shakespeare theater in the country the and best. the best. The best. Yeah. Shout out Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Shout out Oregon Shakespeare Festival, out. which is truly like the core of both of our beings. But it's like so we both like saw like five gender fucked weird Shakespeare productions a year (laughs) in like elementary school. Like, it's just, it's so, it's such a sissy art form. It's so frustrating. Like, (laughs) what are we going to (laughs) do? I I also just want to make it really clear. I'm only roasting theater because I love it so much. It scorned me. (laughs) I'm I'm bitter. Me too. That's why I wrote this whole book. I wrote this whole book because of that. You, literally, you wrote a whole book about it. Because, like, I love that. That's the energy we should all be bringing. I also think it's. I think, touching back to your early point about queer bodies, I think that it's very kind of you to only to say that uh, it's. It's like I know this is not the totality of your statement, but that it's um like American theater is obsessed with the semiotics of bodies on stage. I think that's definitely part of it. But lest we forget that they're also trying to sell like a product of the actor who is then once again playing themselves, which gets back into the art of persona. And now we've arrived at what? Wanted all Ray. Put <laughs> <laughs> a quarter in the swager. <laughs> I mean, this, this is, I am, let it I've been trying to I've been putting off sitting down and just like writing an essay about it because I keep getting to the I keep coming to the idea I'm like well by the time that you sit down and write it someone else already will have which is so stupid and defeatist and I'm sure other people already have but I'm so stop reading pages from my diary I know I am so we're going to talk about this now because this is also talked about in the book I am so fucking tired of a straight people that's the end. No, I'm end of sentence. Um, a straight people, it's straight actors, and even famous Hollywood queer actors talking about straight people playing queer. I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm done. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put it to bed now. And here was I want to talk about it. <laughs> I want to talk about it because nothing. I'm just so exhausted. What kind of bed are we putting it in? Like a. Turn down like a double. Is no. it nice? Does it have a, a quilt? Of, a bed of nails. A bed of nails. Bed of nails. We're playing Faker with. You heard it here, for folks. 
I mean, so I just don't understand how there are queer actors still hemming and hawing about whether or not it is okay for straight actors to be playing queer in film. Mm -hmm. um, it is not. Let me talk about it. And, and the reason it is not is it's the industry's own fault. It's not, it has nothing to do with like the artistic merit or, 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 uh, or like any sort of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, art art theory. That's not what I'm, I'm, it's because of capitalism and the industry and queer and transphobia. That is why it's not okay. Um, but what and, about the men? <laughs> what about them? I mean, <laughs> Who will think of the men? Right. But you, you, but you mentioned, this is what you mentioned. You talked about marketability of, of the bodies on stage. And it's like, when you think of, I mean, I'm feel I feel like I shouldn't bring up Army Hammer's name, but when we talk about Call Me By Your Name, we talk about Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, it just feels like such a such a perfect, like, you know, ubiquitous touchstone for this conversation, um, as much as I hate to talk about it, um, is that if those were young queer actors, right? The reason they're not- Actors, young, if you will. Right. <laughs> the reason that they're not, the reason that they have to be straight, pretty cis actors in that role is because Hollywood wants to make them into stars. Right. And the second that you have queer actors playing queer roles, they will, in, 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 a, in a blockbuster of, of that size and magnitude, they are no longer seen as marketable in stories in which they would not be playing queer, right? And therefore we cannot continue to bank upon them. That's the problem, like, they, you, they always say best actor for best role, right? You, what a queer blockbuster actors are there? Like, right. like especially, of, you can name a few, sure, but it's not, it's not the same. No, and- John and Travolta. <laughs> Stop it. We, okay, I'm, I'm addicted to this like Zillow Instagram and we, they, they posted a, bunch of pictures of John Travolta's house and it's the gayest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was so upsetting. Also, I love her. It's, it's <laughs> truly the fanciest house I've ever seen in my life. I was like, what Broadway choreographer bought this home? And then they were like, John Tra, it's John Travolta's home. It. It's great. Anyways, I, um, no, my, yeah, there, there isn't, there's no such thing at this point as like a gay actor who plays, uh, romantic leads or who plays like characters who happen to be gay and also uh like are in a mission impossible film you know it just like there's it also no queer there's no queer actor being queer for queer people there's also that i mean yeah i mean you think of like the big God, the big queer films, air quotes. I mean, like, but the ones I, at least I mentioned in the book, I mean, you have you have things like Call Me By Your Name. You have uh, Love, Simon, which I will admit to having never watched, in which, yes, there was, what's wild about something like Love, Simon also is that there's a bunch of out queer actors orbiting this central queer character played by a straight person. So queer actors are allowed to be the objects of affection for a straight person playing queer, but are not allowed to be the stars of their own story, which is wild. And I think what's also wild about Love, Simon, even though I, again, have not seen it, I know that those two romantic interests, those two actors, um, uh, uh, Joey Polari and what's, what's his name? Adam 
Kenyon Lonsdale. Um, Kenyon Lonsdale, who's a who's a queer person of color and is the is the again the object of affection for a hot cis straight white man right. in that film, essentially. Like, do we not see the optics? <laughs> it's like, it's- it's that like the optics don't matter to the people who have the most money. And so you just kind of are sitting on the sidelines shouting and writing books like this. Until right, and you don't, and you don't want to shake your fist at the unrelenting sky because there is still the truth of the fact that it's like, this is still in some way, it is a good thing. Right. Like the fact that queer youth, young queer people or queer people in general have this sort of representation, have this sort of media, like what a thing, like what a thing that I could not have imagined when I was growing up in the early nineties um, to have a film like that, you know, uh, and still how much are we shorthanding them by not giving them queer role models in real life? You're only giving them a character. Then, you know, like what it ends up being is it ends up like having these, these straight cis actors go on press tours and talk about the bravery of the community, how thankful they are for the community, you know, and I just want kids to be able to see a queer actor do those press tours, being able to talk about their own lived experience and how that affected them bringing this story to life. Like right. it is such a disappointment for it to not be that. We got Jojo Siwa. We did get JoJo. Thank God. Thank you, JoJo. That's something. It is something. It's more than something. No, I, I actually am not. I'm, I was trying to play it off because I didn't. I was trying to read the room, but I'm <laughs> very excited. We're all very celebratory. Oh, <laughs> it's I'm JoJo. About JoJo. <laughs> I'm talking about JoJo. It's amazing. I'm so I, glad I, we're in this pro JoJo safe space. I know. I'm sorry. Please bring the joy back. I have a lot of angry queer energy. It's sort of default setting. Well, I would know nothing about that. So, <laughs> I, I think this is the only show we've ever done together, but you opened for Sabrina when I was opening for Sabrina in New York. And yeah. you, you were, first of all, phenomenal, but like, and, <laughs> but you were like, uh, it was like the, I think like the second time I had spoken to you ever and you were backstage talking about this book and all of this stuff and doing your makeup and you were like, I saw Timothy Chalamet on the way here. Fuck him, you were so mad. I forgot like, about that, I did. Yeah. I <laughs> hate him. I, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Was this before, because I did, I, I passed Timothy Chalamet on the street that yeah. day. But I don't know if this was before or after I served him at the restaurant I was working at. No, no, that had not happened yet. That happened. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't even, it, I feel like I keep manifesting him, <laughs> keep manifesting him. And I don't know him. He might be really nice. That's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. Yeah. It's not the point. It has not, gonna have to, we have to cut this, but I think he's paying for a friend of mine's top surgery. That's sweet. His face still looks like a pointy Italian shoe that came to life. So <laughs> I still don't is, like her. He probably is really nice. And it, it, I don't blame him. I don't blame most. Of, I don't blame him. I, I blame the industry. I do blame Zachary Quinto and Matt Bomer for thanking the NYPD for apologizing for Stonewall. I don't know if you've seen that video. Ew. I don't. I am. As, I am deleting this knowledge from my mind as you're saying it. Video of Matt Bomer and Zachary Quinto nope. think, wishing the NYPD a happy pride. It is going out of one ear and it's coming in one ear and going out the other. I am not this holding this. I cannot. About. I cannot have that in here. 
Speaking of progress inch by inch, I, I keep asking, I really want us to cover Boys in the Band because I am floored by the very choice to have ever revived Boys in the Band. Bring the me back. Bring me back for that episode. <laughs> the most self-hating show of all time. And they were like, this is where we get like an all queer. This is the first all queer cast on Broadway. Like, fuck me, right? It was bizarre as a choice. It is, it is an endless, like I remember when that was announced, I'm actually, I'm in the, the apartment of a good friend of mine who saw that on Broadway and loved it mm-hmm. and sort of stands the Ryan, well, he did not the Ryan Murphy adaptation, but the original film. And, the, you know, we, yeah. we had a, we've had an ongoing discourse about it, but what a fucked, like, this is what we're doing. This That's like such a confusing choice. Yes. Beautiful white gay men hate one another. That whole, I mean, that whole show is just like, man, the trauma of being rejected by your family is really can turn you into a cruel and bitter person, huh? Who yeah, if I wanted that, I'd just call ones. you. Well, it's just, it's very, like, it's the most. I thought that was funny. <laughs> no, it was funny. It was funny. I thought it was good. It was, it was. Clementine's like, no, I'm still making a point. I'm still making cogent points. But also, to be sure, I, again, sort of what the book is about. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's just, yeah, it's very, very, it's a thing we talk about over and over on this podcast is simultaneously like never um, forgetting what you're fighting for and like what it is that you want, what the world is that you envision and also accepting the crumbs as they come um, mm. and accepting the, Please, bits, sir, the bits of progress. Have some more. But like you'll drive yourself insane if you don't, you know, if you don't like we did an episode um, a while ago on like the these two like Golden Girls episodes that came out in like 89 and 91 I want to say and they yeah so it was like um, and it was very it's like a this is obviously like very very old-fashioned but also we have to pause and acknowledge the significance of like having a gay character at all on a show in 1989 specifically one who's like being whose uh, sister is rejecting them and all of her friends are like, you have to not do that. Like you have to be better. Like it is progress. And at the same time, you're like, this is not, this would have, this would have been um, exciting 30 years ago. And now it's like. Straight time anymore. and gay time really do be working differently, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that why we walk faster. That's I think that's definitely part of it. <gasps> it all comes back to the iced coffee. Okay, <laughs> wait a minute, guys. It's not, in fact, walking faster. We are just we are just living in a in a, an accelerated timeline. <laughs> yeah, we're just moving. Yeah, our atoms are just like bound. Also, like I am, I also am of the firm, staunch belief that like everyone, like I just don't believe in heterosexuality anymore. I just don't. I love that for you do you know i mean have you seen that instagram um filter of like what queer coded character are you yes okay so the number of people that are friends of mine are people i follow on instagram who like did a video with that like silly queer coded uh character filter this week who i'm like whoa whoa whoa. have you ever engaged in like what what like you know it's just like like what queer character am i now i'm like you are married with three children, Molly. Like, what are you talking about? But, but not to say that Molly can't be queer because she's married with three children. You know, I'm like, heterosexuality is a lie. And I think that everyone's slowly waking up. I am very, very invested in this uh, 
Eve Cedric idea, Eve Kazofsky Cedric idea that mm-hmm. I keep trying to sell Peter on, which is I'm the so, idea. You're very sold. sold. I know. You've sold me on poetry and this. I don't know what more you want. But the idea of um, of uh, transgenderism or of um, homosocial like eroticism being um, a liminal space, being a space that like people move in and out of, mm. so that you can be you can be a person who like does. And this also goes into my general thing of all of these words being um, not identity identities and more adjectives and subjective, much more subjective than the way we treat them, but that you can be a person who uh, 90% of the time identifies as cis, but still has, you know, a transgender desire or like some kind of, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think that, I think that, um, I don't know if heterosexuality isn't real, but I do think that most people are, I think compulsive heterosexuality is very real. That's what right. I want to say. Okay. The, like, mythos, the mythos of straightness. Yes. Mythos. You know yes. what I mean? Like, that's what I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. I'm curious, Pia. Um, was there a poem in the book that you flat, up di- flat out did not understand? You're like, what was this? What are they talking about? I mean, eh, no, I just oh. feel less, I feel less qualified to talk about poetry than I do say, uh, I don't know, showgirls. It's really my, that's like my expertise. <laughs> Absolutely. hundred percent. I want to talk, uh, no one has let me talk about what I want to talk about today, which is the 1954 film stage production of Peter Pan staring, starring Mary Martin. Yes. I I am <laughs> So you are <laughs> my familiar <laughs> have a, more, a better question is what's the most recent time that I've cried while listening to the lullaby song Oh my god okay wait so like I have to be very honest with you I don't know that I have ever discussed the 1954 film stage production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin with another person it is just a truth that I know exists within me. Wow. Well, you've come to the right podcast, right? Yeah, you, no, truly, you found your, you found your home. <laughs> See, this is what I feel more like qualified to speak on versus yes. like poetry, personally. This was, an, this was a formative VHS tape for me. Same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I tr- even know who had it or how it came to exist within my household. Um, but like, I watched that shit on loop. Um, I was obsessed. I was too. I was also like, yeah, that was my first, um, I, I was very obsessed with that shit. I was very obsessed with that movie, that VHS thought it was so magical. Also learned the word crossdresser from, um, having to ask, who Mary Martin was and why she was playing a boy, which is like a very formative moment in my childhood. Like truly grim. No, not even. It's like a, it it wasn't, it was like a, Oh, you can do that. Like not grim. I, I remember, I remember years later learning that it was not a boy. Right. Did not know you know, like had no, I was blissfully unaware. When, when, when was also, this is an important question. When was the most recent time that both of you have watched it? A couple years ago. Did you say two weeks ago? 
a couple of years ago. I wish it was two weeks ago, but I, w- I did try to get my girlfriend to watch it with me. And I don't know if she a hundred percent got what I was like, was picking up what I was putting down. I was like, look, it's a kangaroo, but it's actually a person in a kangaroo suit. And she was like, I don't know what's happening here. But then her whole thing is, is Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater. So that's like her, <laughs> her wheelhouse. So together we are, we are this uh, horrible queer memory of yours. Yes. I, I, well, no, it's not horrible. It's not horrible a- in the way that this is our horrible gay podcast. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, re, I, re, I watched both of them, both, you know, the 1954 film stage production of Peter Pan and Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater, specifically the one that I talk about in my book is Pinocchio starring Paul Rubens. Wild. You know uh, what? I'm just going to say this justice for Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens did nothing wrong. This is true. I, I have not deeply engaged in the Paul Rubens discourse. I mean, I know about it. He didn't do anything wrong, right? He was just no, just, he just, he just, just jacked off in a porno theater. That's what but you do in porno theaters. It was appropriate to be masturbating. Exactly. As appropriate as it can be to masturbate in public, yeah. It, okay. I, I think we talked about this before and we were like, it'd be weirder if you weren't masturbating in a yeah. porn theater. If you just went to sit and watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, yeah, no, but because he was like a child's entertainer. It at, was like fallacious. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, I think Jim Belushi is in that episode, the Pinocchio episode, which is just wild. Dude, those shows are crazy. Also, just Shelley Duvall. Like, Shelley Duvall saying, there's like somewhere on... The internet, I saw a compilation of her saying, I'm Shelly Duvall every time. And I think it like, I think it opened my third eye. Like I think it (laughs) decalcified my pineal gland. It is, it is really, so I I watch both of them rather frequently while writing that one poem. Um, And then, so I've, I've seen them both a few times over within the past like nine months. And let me tell you, they are so gay. Like deeply gay, like so gay, both of them. Um, And this perhaps is not a surprise to any of us or maybe anyone listening. But I also I just think about like child, like children's programming and 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 like whether or not like I just think I'm like, did, did someone know how gay I was and was like, they have to watch this or did I watch this? amongst many other things. And because I was so gay, they're the ones I remember. Like, right. I just like, it's maybe that's like a nature versus nurture conversation. I mean, like I came out the womb queer as fuck. Like I, I know and believe that in my heart of hearts, but I'm just like, wow, this shit's gay. Right. I think a lot of children's media is really gay. A lot of Disney movies is, are really gay. gay. I love that. Where, so may, maybe, Maybe isn't that like growing up is forgetting that you can be anything. Growing up is forgetting that you can be gay. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so much of like, uh, there's such a sense of like play and merriment in all of those like deeply like queer shows that like all of those like deeply queer like childhood programs. And there is also a sense of like, uh, queer people know how to revel and and be joyful and silly because there is so much tragedy and rejection and you have to find queerness among community members, which uh, 
tends to create large gatherings and parties. Like I think that that is so, um, it's not even like a stereotype. It's just like a practical part of how we find each other. And mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I don't know if it's about forgetting to be gay, but I think that that's like my favorite part. <laughs> Maybe it's just that like, that to have a sense of humor and to have a sense of um, play that carries into your adulthood is profoundly gay. The heterosexual is like never figured out how to do that. And I don't, I don't know how they manage. Do you, do any of you know the, like the history or reasoning behind the, um, the sort of like historical casting of Peter Pan being played by a cis woman? Like, um, I know that it was always played by a woman until, um, the Disney animated production because actually like both the 1954 film stage production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin and the uh, Disney animated feature film both have like hold like dark queer secrets to my heart and I can get into the other one later but I there was a little like mini doc at the end of the Disney movie that I would watch that was about like making the animation and they were like one of their problems was that they wanted to continue the tradition of having Peter Pan be like played by a woman, but they couldn't like animate something that was like a grown woman playing a boy. Interesting. The, they couldn't, Disney didn't have the technology at that time. They didn't have the technology. They didn't have that like frozen technology that helped solve like the jet love pass mystery. Yeah, I mean, I think that they were, uh, I imagine it was just because it was like, we don't want to work with a kid. There's already so many kids in the show. We probably don't want to like, well, also <laughs> we don't sh- want one in the lead. Yeah, <laughs> have, I like, mean, there's also already. most of the scores like being led by, by them. Yeah, yeah. I, right? I, I think. Oh yeah, for, yeah, for a vocal role too, like for a musical, yeah. I just think it's like, what an interesting thing. It's like, it's literally a story about a young boy who doesn't want to grow up. And right. in all of its historical casting, it's being played by an adult woman. They were like, like Mary Martin, done. Mary Martin, done. Yeah, uh, I would read I would read a whole book about that. I, I had never truly considered it. Now I'm like, that is truly such an interesting choice. There's something very like gals being pals about that to me there's something very like about desexualizing the woman about yeah. that oh. when she plays house with wendy oh my god <laughs> oh my god i love it when i love the i mean the flying in that uh, so good i'm when, all about the tank wendy magic i know <laughs> it's so good okay. of course racism rears its ugly head <laughs> Doesn't hold up very much there, but very few adaptations of Peter Pan actually do when it comes um, to, God, what is that? <sighs> Tiger Lily? Huh? Yes, Tiger Lily. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out uh, British people at the turn of the 20th century weren't super well-versed yeah. in a not being white supremacists. Come on, Barry. How <laughs> dare he? All right. Uh, we should, we've been talking for a really long time. We should. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no. I'm, I just want to make sure that we get you out when I said you'd get out. Um, what Pia, did you still want to talk about form versus content? Uh, I feel, feel like, like it's, 
I feel like we've gone over everything. I'm got my main point was I just wanted to be like, thank God someone else cares about Peter Pan the same way I do. I do. Thank you for your service. Well, I just have one question, one last question then, which is, uh, so I, I don't think I've said this yet. I love this book. I love it very, very much. And I, I so resonated with the, the, with uh, using your art form to like explore yourself and your identity and using this like thing that you're passionate about that is so like tied to who you are to examine who you are. And I was so happy to finally have a book with that framework, specifically with theater, because I love theater and also am, um, is, it is often like the prism through which I am like trying to figure out how I want to be a person. Um, all of that being said, this book has a very clear, I want to say like political message, which is like, let queer people be queer people in theater. And I'm wondering what is, we also, like, we also talk a lot about like, what is the world that you're fighting for? Like, what is your vision for what that looks like? Which is a huge question, but what is your vision? Like, what, what is your idea for like, what, what is possible or what can be done when we allow queer people, trans people to tell their stories, to be in their stories and to have those stories on stage. Yeah. I think um, like the, the most concise way of answering that perhaps is that like, I always am longing for a future that is free of gender essentialism. Mm. One that, I would not feel as if uh, so often, as I do, I think, in my day-to-day now, that I use so much bandwidth, emotional bandwidth, wondering about what it means, uh, what what it means and how it affects my life when my body is perceived in space wherever I'm going and whatever I'm doing. Um, Because I feel very deeply that I know who I am um, and I would love to not constantly have to be telegraphing it. Mm. And and not have to feel as if when I am doing so um, that it could be written off or viewed as performative or an occasion or for anyone but me. and I feel I do feel that way now. I mean, it actually speaks a little bit to like the last poem in the book, um, which is called Final Dress. Um, and, it, and it blends the world. It used, still uses theater illusion, but I very, very intentionally um, put it in, in a banal location. Like it is, it is set in a subway station, right? And th- this, this idea that uh, there's a line, and I think about this quite often, um, you know, the passenger across from me, compliment compliments the shade of my eyeshadow uh, compliments my eyeshadow because I like the shade and not because they think me brave mm. and I think I think very often that if if I were when I walk through the world in a way that I feel like does telegraph my transness in a way you know that is way that is received by cis people right um that I, it does elicit a lot of comments. And I would say more often than not, luckily they are complimentary, but I think, but it feels, and it may not always be true, but it feels as if it's because people feel the need to say something when they see me. 
because they recognize it as non-normative. So their body wants them to identify it and, and speak on it. And so the first thing they resort to is like, oh, I like that. Because <laughs> um, they have to say something. So I'm just going to compliment you because um, I recognize you as something other than uh, what I see on the daily. Um, and I want to live in a world uh, in which that is not seen as um, like so performative. <laughs> Acting is my job. I don't want it to be my gender. <laughs> Ours. Well, okay. That's, Ours. I think that's perfect. I, well, when does this, uh, when does this book come out? Uh, please come off book comes hey. out March 23rd of <laughs> poetry. Um, and it's available pre-sale now, you know, hashtag where all books are sold, but I would highly encourage you to purchase it if you would be so kind uh, through buttonpoetry.com because we should do our best to support independent booksellers. Yes. Aren't you autographing a bunch I of am. the first edition? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the first edition, there's, uh, I think there's something like, uh, there's a hundred, there's not anymore. There's like 60 signed copies left available on buttonpoetry.com. Um, and yeah, I got that shipment. Uh, so I'm signing them right now. It's been very exciting. Um, and then, and then, yeah, if, if you're unfamiliar with my work, you, I'm on the YouTube, um, uh, part of that. Yeah. On the YouTube. A very searchable person. Yeah. Very searchable. Yes. <laughs> please come off book. People, a lot of people told me that they thought it was please come off. Like that was the name. And <laughs> They were just like hyphen. It's a book, um, but the full title is "Please Come Off." Oh, to not know the phrase "off book," to not be like catapulted somewhere by that. <laughs> be taken what I would place, give. Yeah. Right, you'll like it even if you don't like theater. I promise. I don't. Well, I'm, I make no promises, and if you don't like it, that's fine. I don't really care. But I really would like you to read it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Please come off book on Button Poetry, March twenty third. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, I have one last question, which is, do you have any additional reading or any other poetry that you would recommend? Oh, yes. Um, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, because I, I want to get it right because this book just came out and it is amazing. Okay. Um, and yes. Okay. So you want to read... Um, wound from the mouth of a wound by Torin A. Greathouse. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you um, do. I, I, you want to read that book? Um, yes, wound from the mouth of a wound. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about this collection. Um, I, please read it. I met Torin at a show that I did at their college in like 2014 and watching the person that they have become over the past seven years. They're just like my hero at this point. Well, Such a genius. I don't know. I had not, like we follow one another on Twitter now, but like yeah. I, I did not know. I did not know. And suddenly I saw, I was like, oh my God, Torn has a book coming out around the same time. Like I want to read something. And, and I was floored. Yeah. Floored. It is some of the most beautiful writing um that i've read like in in a minute and what i find interesting also is that like uh i would also recommend it for any folks that also maybe have like a, a knee-jerk reaction or any sort of aversion to poetry um 
because I think it, it, it is a wonderful sort of gateway into what I would consider like a little bit like, you know, like there's, there's some real, real writing in there. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but it's great. And I, and I love it. So yeah. Wound from the mouth of a wound. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I would like to suggest uh, my additional reading is the 1954 stage production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin. <laughs> yep. That's perfect. I'm just going to, I'm seconding wound from a mouth of a wound. That's the perfect answer. That book has, fuck me. I'm, work, I'm working on a book about uh, Medusa right now. And so as soon as I saw the, the cover, I was like, purchase. <laughs> just floor. It's so good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming. It was so lovely seeing you both. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, in the words of Sappho, someone will remember us even in another time. And in the words of our patron saint, albeit fallen, Kanye West, everything is exactly the same. Except his marriage. Don't. It's too <laughs> soon. Is it though? Is it though? <laughs> you know how I feel. <laughs> I did, you, did you see that she cited one of the reasons for divorce is banality? That's like in the paper. Every time I think I don't love her, she divorces Kanye West for banality. God damn it. Oh, like, girl, if he's anything, he's not banal. Like, like imagine, imagine being that intentionally bland as a human being. Human blank slate Kim Kardashian, and she's like, he's too banal. People are dying, Kim. Yeah.